Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. I wanted to let you know, because I'm actually recording this the day before Thanksgiving, something about what has happened for me in the last year. You know, when the pandemic started, I was supposed to uh, go on a book tour, then go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, then do an off-Broadway run. All of those were live performance dates, which is how I still make most of my income. When that dried up, I switched to Zoom events with a donation model. And right now I'm doing collaborative events um, with Dynasty Typewriter. In fact, I've got three more Home for the Holidays, Home for the All the Days shows coming up on December 23rd. One on January 19th, our last night of the stupid current administration, and one on February 13th. That's like a Christmas and holiday show in December, a an election inauguration, get him the fuck out of your special in January, and a Valentine's event in February. Now, because of you, I have been able to, throughout the pandemic, donate back about $25,000 to local venues like Dynasty Typewriter or the Lincoln Lodge in Chicago, to independent booksellers, to the folks that are opening for me, and to Sierra that helps run this show. You know, that is what is so cool about my community. Um, for this particular show, we've got some really awesome patrons like Fiona Ding, Jamie, Danny Elkhorn, Jennifer Hunt, Audrey Rower, Catherine Michaels, Rachel McIntyre, Hannah Booth, Brittany Carlson, Chloe Vicker, Courtney Ross, and Kevin Fry. If you'd like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and get in the know about the special perks that we have. You can be thanked on the show, but also you can just support something that you love. And if it's your preferred method to hang out and see a live show, then please come to those shows with Dynasty Typewriter. All that information will be on my socials. It's really been amazing to be able to make sure that the community I'm a part of continues to thrive in the small ways that I have been able to. And it's really all because of you. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey folks, Cami here, and I hope that your Thanksgiving was in some way restful if you live here in the U.S. And to my friends abroad who listen, hello! Today on the show, we've got a really awesome conversation with Hiromi Kamada. I love talking to this person, uh, director of the new and executive producer of the new Selena series that will be on Netflix this week. Um, yeah, I just I just really wish Hiromi all the best, and it was so cool to be able to speak to her in Mexico City. That's one thing that's really rad about the stupid quarantine um, that we are all in is having the technology to um, still be able to connect amidst all of this. So thank you all um, for listening during this time and please enjoy this great conversation. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, um, my name is Hiromi Kamata. I am a director EP for the series Selena, the series, and uh, I'm live from Mexico City. You're in Mexico City right now? Yeah. Yeah, so I apologize on behalf of the city because it has these really crazy sounds 
that you might be able to get to know. I hope not. And also my dog, who's a guardian, is right next to me. And I hope she remains quiet for the session. But if she starts barking, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, it's this is... It's a, it's none a weird of this situation. Is, none of this is <laughs> ideal. We weren't supposed to be doing any of this. None of this was supposed to be happening. Seems like you're doing great. How is Mexico City right now? Oh, God. Well, I just got here. We just wrapped the second season for the series. So I got here on Saturday and I'm barely getting acquainted to what's going on and how the series is, is, is addressing the pandemic. Um, um, well, I guess it's a general situation in the world. No, we're all kind of figuring out what's going on. Um, right now, uh, supposedly we're doing not that bad, but I don't think so entirely. I don't know. Our Mexican government has been pretty good at, at not giving, you know, the the right numbers of, of contagious and all that. It hasn't been very accurate. So so I'm hoping fine. Uh, I see a lot of people out in the street without a mask. Uh, a lot of people not not living in the same planet and situation that I, I consider myself living into. But hopefully, I don't know. Fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's yes, that's the thing, right, is that there's no um, universal experience of this time, even in the same block, even in the same apartment building, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> because there are so many factors that contribute to how each person is dealing with it. But in the U.S., you know, also like because so much wild lying is going on and it sounds like well, that's what is happening in Mexico, too. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's just crazy because I think, I, I don't know who to believe it in anymore, you know? It, the government, the doctors say another thing and, and, and so on. So, so I'm just trying to stay safe. You know, I have an 80-year-old uh, father who I take care of and who's my neighbor, and he has emphysema, so I'm I'm trying to be very very cautious and and it's been hard, you know, because as as you will said, everybody takes it in a very particular way, no. So most uh, since I got back on Saturday, some friends are like, oh, let's meet for a drink, oh, let's, you know, and I'm like, um, I don't think so. I'm gonna stay home. <laughs> yeah, and right. So right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. And you flew, you must have flown very recently. Yeah, I did. So in order to see my dad, um, I'm, I'm being cautious. So I want to stay quarantined for two weeks. And after those two weeks, I want to take a test, a PCR test. And if, you know, everything goes right, then I'm going to, you know, dad, let's see each other, you know, with a safe distance and everything and our masks. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I mean, I mean, I rather, you know, I rather spend Thanksgiving in, 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 in you know, through Zoom that than than is the Christmas in in the ICU. <laughs> no, well said. <laughs> well said. Very yeah. well said. So your first of all, I will also say. Um, well, I got like the press packet or whatever on uh, Selena, which I don't always I don't always get those because sometimes I think podcasting it's not always clear, like, what is this? Is this a media outlet or not? You know, so, um, yeah, I don't always get those, but I, but I did get this, uh, in this case. And one thing that stood out to me was there was like one line that was 
talking about the language distribution in the show, which mm-hmm. is that it is like, is it 90% in English and like yeah. 10% in Spanish? Yes. Yes, ma'am. It's my first job directing in English, which was uh, That's what a I was wonderful gonna ask. experience. That's what yes. I was going to ask. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, what in terms of, so in terms of working in, you know, your art, like I, I am actually only fluent enough in English to perform in English, you know, as a comic um, or an interviewer. Uh, and what is it, <laughs> what was it like for you to work in the context of the English language for the first time? Well, um, it was a challenge. It was a challenge because I, um, I come from a, a background from film. I started in film. I, I made myself a career being an assistant director, uh, mainly in features. And then, you know, when, when series became a thing in Mexico, then I, I jumped into series. And that's how I got my first uh, job directing. And throughout that, that time, I, I had the, the blessing of working like in some big productions, you know, U.S. productions and, and mainstream and studio. And then I kept doing also independent films and so. But it's different than, you know, directing is, in, in my very humble opinion, it's, it's mostly about uh, telling a story and capturing human, human behavior. So uh, how I dealt with that in terms of intimacy with actors and, and so on, it was kind of, of, of a challenge, but I loved it. I really loved it. And I hope it turned out well, you'll see on December 4th. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, and it's what, thank you. What, what, um, you know, I gotta say, it's like, it's like terrible timing for almost everything except for shows that you can stream into your house, in which case it's actually great timing. Um, because, <laughs> You know, I, I just have a feeling that this show is going to be huge, you know, especially with it coming out right around the holidays and with so much interest in the subject already going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just, I'm really excited for you because I think that that's, that's going to be really cool. Um, how are you feeling about it? Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm really, really nervous because with, um, with great expectation no, comes great responsibility sure. as yeah. well. And, um, well, we'll see how, how, how it does. I, it's a, it's a show we did, you know, with a lot of respect, a lot of love for Selena, uh, trying to honor her legacy and, and, and her background. So, so I hope the fans can relate to that. And, um, and, you know, once it's like directing a series, I, I kind of compare it to, to babysitting someone else's kid, uh, you know, because it's in the end, it's not your 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 kid, but you love you love the kid, you educate the kid, you feed the kid, you you know put the kid to bed, you try to take care of of, of the kid as much as you as, as you can, and you and and love him. Um, but uh, eventually, it's someone else's kid, and it just mm. goes out into <laughs> into the world, and and that's we cannot control that anymore. So let's let's hope that first of all, to me, is that Selena spirit you know might sound cheesy and corny but that she feels honored and and, and respected in the way we we told her story and um you know also there's one thing that i always think about which is the responsibility you see you're gonna start listening to weird sounds there's a lady selling this is mexico city yet again eh? it's um you can, it's it's like it's way like in the out okay cool it because it's it's a lady trying to buy old newspaper and stuff it's the 
So the thing is, uh, I, I feel responsible for what I put out there as a message. You know, I think the people, all of us working in the film and TV industry. So to me, uh, telling her story, it was something that I felt that I wanted to work in. You know, the, the idea of, of a young girl embracing who she is, finding her own voice, uh, you know, uh, trying to love her Mexican side as well as her American side and, and, and becoming and reaching stardom through being herself it it just made sense to me so so hopefully the audience will like that i hope so yeah you know that as you're speaking it like it strikes me that in my sort of impression of selena in general that that is specifically a person that people really care about getting right like that's i think that's been like in my sort of understanding of her from, you know, like I'm not uh, Latinx, but from outside the community, it just seems like she's, yeah, she has specifically had that around her um, the whole time. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? This, like, a community really feeling like they want to do her justice, which I don't always, you don't, we don't always see that, you know, with, mm-hmm. with um, certain figures, like, I think sometimes they're, I just have noticed it, especially with her. Yeah, she she's adored. She's adored. She's she's you know loved by every, especially by the member of the Latinx community and 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 and, and Latin America. Like I grew up in Mexico, and I love Selena. I I grew up. I went through heartbreak with Selena, listening to Selena through celebration, listening to to Selena. You know, there's no baptism, wedding, uh, quinceañera. You don't listen to Selena in Mexico and. And to me, the fact that I, I got the, you know, the, the opportunity of telling her story, it's, it's just, I feel privileged and honored. Is she, is she singular in that space? Like, is, is she like the person that you would say that's true for? Like that her music is at all of those events? Is she? I think so. I think so. There was nothing like her. It was mm-hmm. nothing like her. You know, she, she. She, 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 you know, threw down doors. She, 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 she. To start with, like the Tejano music was mainly dominated by men, as <laughs> as that's pretty much it's the only the only area <laughs> of the world where that's true. <laughs> so the way she just, you know, she made herself a career. She fought to to be heard. She fought to be herself. It, it's it's pretty amazing. And 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 back on the day, you, you didn't get to see a Latina winning a Grammy, you know, uh, singing in English. Uh, like it was like wow, like this this lady really, really made her dream, her dream come true. So yeah, I think in in terms of of our community and, and and I'm speaking on behalf of the of the Mexican, you know, because Latinx community is so wide and so yes. Uh, but specifically in uh, us Mexicans, she was one of a kind, and she still is. Like that's what I was going to ask next. Is there anyone since who's been able to sort of captivate people's minds in that way in Mexico? N- not at her level, no, 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 no. And 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 every every other uh, singer, you know, female singer that has you know accomplished a great career and 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 so on is is very is very grateful to her for for you know for for paving the way and the road for all of us, myself included. That is also what I was going to ask is, you know, um, (laughs) then it would seem like, because I mean, maybe it could just be a gap in my knowledge, 
but you also seem to be somebody who is sort of breaking boundaries and transitioning um, between the industry in Mexico City, the industry here in LA, between like you were talking about film and television series. Obviously, you know, working for Netflix is like a, that's a huge gig. And so I, I just I wonder what that's like for you to have that sort of um, to transition. Uh, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Like if you ask me what's happening to me now in my in my life and in my career, it's like no way, no way. Like if you ask me like a year, two years ago, I wouldn't have dreamt of what I'm living right now at all, at all. I think, um, and I'm going to speak specifically again on my experience, which is uh, working with Netflix. It, it has been a blessing. And I'm telling you, I'm really, really, it's really beautiful to work with those guys and the way they embrace uh, your creativity, your vision, and, uh, you know, giving here in Mexico, in Latin America, the, 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 you know, just the whole, all the opportunities and all the way they're trying to, you know, to, to give us female directors a chance, no, and, and not a chance, but they, I mean, the equal, the equal right to be telling our stories is amazing. It's, it's, I, I don't think, I hope that it becomes a movement. I think it's a tendency right now, which excites me and, and I feel very happy to be a part of. And I hope I, ca I can keep on working with them because they have been nothing but supportive of my career and, 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 and my work. Yeah, that's I mean, you know, for me, what what seems pretty interesting about. Like to your point about a tendency or whatever, transitioning that into a practice um, I think the the way that Netflix specifically can play into that is that it's it really is the first network um, slash also like film studio that has from its from its birth or at least from its birth as a streaming service tried to prioritize an international market that also includes specifically playing to that international market. Like I know as, as in terms of standup on the standup side of things, mm -hmm. I, I haven't ever seen anybody talk about this, but one thing that they started to do a couple of years ago was no longer prioritize American standups. Like they wanted international standups, which prior to Netflix, that like wasn't a thing. Cause it's a, it's a, you know, it's an art that was born in America. We thought we were the best at it, you know? And I don't think that, I don't think that other networks thought about that somebody might be funnier in their mm -hmm. actual place that they came from. And so to capture that market, you know, it's not about necessarily selling American goods, but selling the something from within that culture. Um, and that, that is pretty exciting in terms of like a, a greater worldwide focus. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see what bears out, but no, it's interesting. They do, they do. But it's amazing because they don't think they, I, I think they are thinking outside the box, no, in a, in a certain way. And they know that, you know, that there are beautiful stories and really talented people outside the U.S. You know, it, yeah. Netflix is a platform that reaches uh, 190 countries, right? So in those 190 countries, they encourage and they support every local uh, filmmaker, a TV director in a way that it hasn't been seen before. If it wasn't for Netflix, I don't know where my career would be. I, I mean, let me be honest, right? Yeah. I, like, well, yeah, I, I, I've been trying to direct forever. 
Uh, I want to ask you about that because you said you said two years ago this wouldn't be your dream. What would have been your dream two years ago? Oh, like where did you think you'd be head? Where you'd be heading? I would say I I, re- I have a script I wrote. It's an autobiographical script uh, uh, that I've been trying to 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 get fine, uh, financing uh, through the Mexican, uh, you know, uh, investing and and the Mexican government, uh, uh, you know, uh, money that they give to 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 film, and it's a very making an independent film in Mexico. It's a titanic effort. It's really, really, really tough as in every other country, but spe- specifically here, if you wanted to be a director, you had to get into, you know, apply for the government funding. And if you got the government funding, which was very, very difficult to, uh, then you would get to make your film and then you would have to fight to get a distribution, right? And if you were lucky, you were, uh, in, in you know, in exhibition, you were going against uh, Marvel movies, or you know that that they occupied a lot of of of, of cinema, so it was just very very hard to, if you were not uh, aiming for the festival circuit, let's say, and, and get you know recognition from there, it was very hard to 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 put your work out there. And now with 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 Netflix, for example, I I, I I've been blessed that my my work is being able to be seen in 190 countries for, you know, through the eyes of 126 million viewers on the same day. So, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's something that is, it's a big opportunity and it's another door, you know, for, for us people trying to tell stories. Your autobiographical, your autobiographical project, um, (laughs) what, what does that center on? What's that about? It's a, it's based on and my mom passed away when I was six years old. So it's the story of my mother's uh, death. That's basically it. It's the story of my father, my sister, and me uh, surviving one Christmas in the eighties. That's what it is about. And it's a very small film, very intimate. It's a love letter to my father, who I dearly love. And you know, trying to get a, a project about, for example, no, a, a Mexican Japanese family coming to terms with a, you know, a life-changing event. It has been pretty difficult, pretty, <gasps> pretty difficult. <laughs> sure. Not everyone is willing to invest on that, you know, because, oh, Mexicans are Mexicans. No, it's like, uh, what about a, a Japanese Mexican? Oh, Japanese, because there's so many shades, you know, to the, to the Mexican culture that, have, that they have not been explored, that I'm excited and I am willing, you know, to push and, and push and push and try to open, you know, the the different windows and doors for all of us to, to tell our stories. Yeah. I, I also think that that's a, I mean, I know, I know I can speak for like the American perspective on a Mexican Japanese family. It's like, what are you even talking about? Like, I just think it's, I think that we don't even necessarily always realize that there are Japanese Americans. So I think then the idea that there are that like, well, I, I'll, I'll say it like this. Like I, I used to date a woman who was South African. And when I went home with her, I just had no idea that there's like a very large Indian population in South Africa. And I think that just as a, as Americans, I think we are really taught some odd things about how much migration has happened in our own country and then elsewhere Mm -hmm. as well. So in your experience growing up, um, I mean, do you have an unusual name where you grew up? Of course, 
Of course, Hiromi Kamata. Hiromi Kamata Trejoluna is my, my full name. My mother was Mexican. She passed away when I was six. My father, Japanese, he grew up in Japan and he left Japan when he was 27. He's a DP. He's a director of photography. That's how I got into the business. Oh, wow. I couldn't, cool. I couldn't avoid it. So he, he used to work for the, uh, for Toshiro Mifune's studios, who was a very popular actor in Japan. And he came to Mexico to shoot a commercial for the Japanese government and he fell in love with the country and he grabbed his, went back home, packed his bags, came to Mexico and Mexico opened the doors to him and, and, and he made a life here and two daughters and, and so on. No. So what so, was that like for you growing up in Mexico with that specific story? Well, it was, let, let's, let's be honest. It was a, um, it was interesting. <laughs> Because, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I, I was, I, I stuck out, you know, I was a Japanese, a, a little girl, Jap a Japanese little girl who spoke perfect Spanish, who spoke no Japanese because I'm not fluent in Japanese, by the way. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I was seen like a fish out of the water many times. And although I, my, my mother's side of, of, of my family is very Mexican, no? it's, it's very, very Mexican. My my and my mother's sisters and my grandmother are beyond Mexican. Think think Coco think is like very very Mexican, and that compared to the whole Japanese culture, it was like a clash, no? But an inter interesting clash that now I embrace, no? But back then, as growing up, it was hard because I mean, kids can be very very cruel, very very cruel and racist. So yeah, mm. I, I went, I, I grew up, you know, dealing with bullying and 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 um and. Uh, I, I guess kids are just cruel and specifically Mexican. Uh, I also, it, it also has to do, I mean, then again, it, there are many shades to the Mexican culture where I come from. Uh, I had the privilege to grow up in a very, uh, in a wealthy uh, sector of the society of the Mexican society. My father did very, very well economically. So I grew up, grew up in this sector of, of the society that was privileged economically. So there's a lot of Catholic racing, for example, there, no, and and very square-minded people that were not very, they didn't kind of understand a lot of my my background and my father's background, and you know, a, a, my dad he wears his hair long down. He's a Japanese samurai hippie, you know, who plays the guitar, who's a DP, and. And that back then in the day was like, uh, you know, every time they, they, I had, you know, uh, school asked us questions like, ask your father, what religion is he? And my dad used to say, uh, tell them I'm a freelance, you know, <laughs> so all that kind of, 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 that's how he raised me. So I kind of ran into different ideals and very conservative uh, people. So it was tough. Yes, it was tough because I wasn't very accepted. No, I wasn't uh, since the very beginning. But uh, I, I guess it's funny because that's, you know, being Mexican, Japanese and so on, it, it brought me where I am right now, which is a place that I'm very grateful for. So, so yeah, kudos to that. Did you know when you were growing up other mixed race kids or was it like you and your sibling and that was the group? We had another pair of Japanese Mexicans that were more because they, they floated towards the Japanese culture. So they spoke Japanese all the time between them. And my dad used to get us together, uh, my sister and I, with, with them. And we really didn't have that much in common. They were nice. No, they were nice kids. But my sister and I were, felt more Mexican. And the fact of, you know, 
looking yourself uh, into the mirror and, 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 you know, seeing a Japanese person and then opening your mouth and, and instead of más mexicana que Chile, <laughs> but it was like weird. It was weird. Uh, they, they, those two kids, for example, they kind of were very, very Japanese, very Japanese. They spoke Spanish just in school and, you know, in their household, everything, their food was Japanese. Uh, they spoke to each other in Japanese and, and my sister and I were like, mm, the other way around. Also, your your mom's side was part of like Catholic family, part of the very Catholicism stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. My family is my family is super Catholic, so what a dream. <laughs> then, you know, a dream. then you know, then you know, then you know. Well, well, bless them, <laughs> bless yeah. them to give me a lot to talk about in therapy and, and, and become a strong person. <laughs> no, did you go to? Did you go to? Did you ever go to Catholic school or like mass no. or any of that stuff growing up? Or was no. it just that was what your mom's family was doing? Yes, we, they, it was funny because uh, through the, the whole the, the, the whole week we, we lived with, with our dad. But, but then on, on, on weekends, we went to our grandma's house. So Saturday and Sunday, we do have to go to mass and, you know, try and learn the words and, and the prayers and all that stuff and the first communion and so on and so. But I never really felt it. You know, looking back, I think I, I never really felt that there were like a lot of things that I didn't understand and, and that I questioned myself. But, you know, the, how they are, they're like very, very thorough with, you know, their principles and their. So it was it was kind of funny trying to juggle the fact that my dad kept saying a lot of things because he he's into Buddhism. Right. So he was a whole other, you know. Another way of thinking, and, and and my my grandmother and my aunts, they were like very 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 conservative and Catholic. I actually don't totally know what Catholicism is like in Mexico. It's it's a main religion, and uh, we we got conquered, you know, by the Spanish. Yes, I I also know that. Um, I know I do know my uh, my. Um, I do know my colonial Catholicism <laughs> uh, because it, because like Mexico is is I think a place where it, like I think it's more dark because because many different Christian religions were coming to the U.S. and like putting up churches mm-hmm. on you know other people's sacred ground. So I think it can it can look like it's like a oh a couple of different people did this, but like in Mexico it's like there's just it was like a lot the Catholics <laughs> that were yeah. coming in and building churches on top of yeah, somebody top else's. Of yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of the analogy of, of the country, you know, like the indigenous people, they basically got, you know, they, they got, they forced them into Catholicism, no? Mm-hmm. Some of them believed what the Spaniards were saying, others, they just had to go go with it because otherwise they would be exterminated <laughs> in a certain way. Right. So, you have a submissive, a big percentage of, of the population, and they grew up with that in mind, you know? So Yeah. I mean, that's a very different... So, like, technically, you know, I'm Italian-American, so mm-hmm. my family's connection with Catholicism, you know, when I... Like, I've been to Italy and seen... You know, it's, it's, a, different, it's a different thing, because even though, like, I literally... Could be. I couldn't be. I couldn't be the furthest. I could not be further from Italian. I'm like very not Italian, but I am Italian American, and so therefore I have 
in my family's past, the the colonizer gene, not the conquered gene like you're talking mm-hmm. about. And so yeah. the fact that my family then accepted it and believed it, it's like if it um, makes a little more sense, right? Because it's coming from a position of power. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that it is it is very interesting to me in like Central and South America that there are so many people who are who consider themselves true believers and who are very devout, but have this different background, um, this background yeah. of like this being foisted and then how through some generations that then becomes part of the culture there. Um, it's a kind of a different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, I think if you're lucky enough, you escape from it, you know, and, and, and make yourself, your own, uh, you come to your own terms and your own philosophy of life and your own, and you choose a proper religion according to your soul and to your beliefs. Not everybody has that, uh, that privilege, I think, because you grow, you grow up, you know, listening to all these, uh, yes. all these things and all, all these behavior and social expectation that you have to, uh, you know, to, 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 to deliver eventually. But I, I guess I was one of the lucky ones that I had a, a, a Japanese samurai hippie father who, <laughs> who was always, you know, telling us, open your mind, open your mind, open your mind, read, 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 travel, 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 watch as many films as you can. Um, so that kind of broke us out of the ball, me and my sister. My sister lives in Spain. No, she's one of the most exceptional human beings in the world. And she packed her bags uh, 11 years ago and she fell in love with this crazy Spanish guy who I deeply love and, and, and she lives there. And, and, and if you see my, the rest of my family, they, they grew up in a very Catholic conservative way. And, and, and in, in, in a lot of ways, it didn't went well <laughs> for, for a lot of them, you know, and, and, and I get this now that, uh, I'm in this, uh, very lucky moment of my life where, where things are happening to me and, and when I'm being uh, blessed with, you know, uh, job opportunities and, 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 and so on. They are very happy for me and they tell me like my my 80 year old uh, Catholic aunt, Mitya Cristina, she just got a tattoo a week ago, you know, like, and she said, wow. I broke out, hero, I'm doing a tattoo. And, and, and she's she's breaking free fa- finally after, you know, how many years of believing that life was supposed to be this way and you had to do this and that and marry and have kids and, and, and all this stuff that they were imposed no, uh, by by this uh, by by this uh, religion in a certain way and and this series. Yes, absolutely. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. What about, so what about queerness in this environment that you're talking about? 
with this mm. family situation. I, I, you know, in how I, I haven't like I came out of the closet like very, like very late. Like I was born a lesbian and I, you know, I, I grew up in the closet, which is the most terrible, horrible, depressing uh, place I can think of. Right. And it was very tough uh, growing up there and, and, you know, knowing how I felt and realizing I was different. But hearing all these speeches and all these conventions of, of my family, of the society I was growing up, I, even today, you know, like I'm engaged to a beautiful woman who's a, who's a badass costume designer in Selena. We got engaged this year, a very bad year to get engaged. Congratulations. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. But, but you know, I, my aunt, my other aunt, my other Catholic aunt, who I deeply love, my tia Tere, who's 80, 81, she knew that I came out of the closet through Facebook. I just, I posted that I was engaged. You know, I never told her because wow. I came out of the closet with my dad when I was 25. That's, that's, you know, I, I came out very, very old. Like, I wish I could have had, you know, a, the courage and um, the conviction to do it earlier. But I think, you know, I don't put any more pressure on myself or, or anymore because I, I think every person and, and every human being, they have their own universe going on. I wish I could have done it earlier because I would have been happier earlier for sure. But I had to remain there and, and, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I struggled a lot uh, growing up with a Japanese hippie samurai and with the Catholic family in a private, prestigious, you know, preppy, very conservative school. I wasn't going to come out ever, you know, watching films like Brokeback Mountain or Boys Don't Cry. I told myself, fuck it, I'm never going to come out of the closet, you know, this looks like a very painful road. Uh, so it was hard. It was very, very hard. And I think, I hope that nowadays, uh, if, we, if we we're talking about, for example, representation on, on series or, or movies, no? Uh, I was watching a film the other day, a beautiful film that's called uh, The Half of It, directed by Alice Wu. Have you seen it? Yeah. and Alice, On Netflix? And Alice and I, so when I... Alice's first film, which is called Saving Face, mm -hmm. was a, such an important and awesome movie in my life. Um, I loved it so much. And I got to interview her for this podcast and we hit it off and have become sort of friends, which is for me like a dream um, because I, I. Have you seen Saving Face? Have you seen her other movie? I have not seen her other movie. No, I have not. Okay, well, I'm going to really recommend it to you because the half of it is beautiful and it's also like a coming-of-age story that's a little younger. Um, but specifically for the story that you just said, Saving Face is like, it's a slightly older person who's coming out. And um, it's, just a, it's just like a beautiful, funny, realistic story. And um, anyway, yes, I have seen the half of it. I'm a huge Alice Wu fan and was emailing with her because um oh you please tell her on my behalf that yes I, I will love her that i worship her that i hope that film would have been out in 1997 because it would have changed my life completely you know yeah like i cried my eyes out i saw myself in that character i was that i was that girl you know i was that girl and the fact that you get to see nowadays you know characters like that stories like that it's just 
it, it moves me to tears because because back then it was so tough. You know, the representation was such was very very limited. No, and 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 mostly uh, the films that came out or the series they they had like like a moral dilemma to to being gay. So so none of them helped me. <laughs> if I must be honest, right? So so. The fact that now kids, you know, on a daily basis can turn on Netflix or they can just see themselves, no? And, yeah, and, I mean... And, and feel close to them. And also, I mean, both of those films that you just mentioned, um, Brokeback Mountain and Boys Don't Cry, um, first of all, I think are very good films. I um, love them. I think I love Boys them. Don't Cry I love them totally. aged very badly because like that should definitely be a trans actor. But another thing that is true of those films is that, um, you know, those characters are murdered. There are (laughs) characters that are murdered in both of those films. Yeah. And also like those actors are very talented and also are straight. And, and, you know, cis and also straight. So mm-hmm. um, I think that, like, for me, especially when you deal with our trauma in that way, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it's it's also thinking about when those films came out that those people were getting awards for, like, imagining how awful our lives were from an outside <laughs> perspective, you know? Like, yeah. that they were getting, yeah. like, presented trophies for, like, suffering when it's just, like yo, that's actually just my lived experience. You know, like, like just, you know, it's like, it's really disturbing. I mean, it, it actually is, you know, and I wouldn't, I also wouldn't, for, for what those films did for me when I saw them in my, like, I needed them because there wasn't anything mm-hmm. else and I still think they're beautiful, but it's like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, same thing happened to me. There was no, no, no happy ending or future. Being gay, that's what I thought. Like, I came out of the cinema when I watched uh, Boys Don't Cry and I was like, fuck, you know, damn, this is not going, if I, you know, if if I confess, <laughs> I don't think it's going to go right for me. I, I'd rather, I honestly, I, 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 I never thought I would come out of the closet in a Mexican, uh, you know, Catholic uh, privileged sector of the society. I just thought to myself many times, I'm going to stay in the closet I'm gonna, you know, do whatever my aunts and my and my my grandma believe that I that I should be doing, and 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 pretend that I'm happy, and that's it. So what? So was it getting engaged that changed your mind, or why? No, no. Then why then post on Facebook? Because no, I came out at when I was 25, which is uh, almost yes. 14 years ago. I was in a relationship with a. You know that kind of thing that my best friend became my girlfriend because we never were heard so, of it. Yeah, I can't never really. heard of it. Yeah, describe it a little so, bit more in depth. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was in a relationship in the closet for five years. Five years, and um, that is very challenging. Very challenging and terrible. Terrible it was a painful place to be. Uh, you know, going out to parties. Uh, People, you know, men hitting on me or her and, and, and being in this uncomfortable situation. All the words spoken, you know, behind the, the closed doors that we couldn't, you know, all this love that we felt for each other that we couldn't share. Uh, up until like my sister, who's, uh, as I said, I love her and she's one of the best people in the world. She she never asked me because she knew, 
right? I remember there's there's one this family argument that we had on a Sunday at my grandma's house where my 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 family they were basically uh, uh, saying not very nice things about uh, uh, the gay community and, and so and I just remained silent. No, I didn't want to. You know, I couldn't even speak because I was hurting so much inside. And my sister, she was like enraged. You know, she was so mad. Like she was always defending the LGBTQT. I always mix up with the with the with the letters. You know, but she was always standing up for me in a certain way because she knew, she knew. Uh, and and I just couldn't. I, I couldn't do it. I was in the closet for many years. I had a relationship for five years in the closet, and then one day I finally just came out. And I said, you know what, to a friend of mine from high school, you know what, that's it. I'm a lesbian, uh, you know, and that's the truth. And uh, and I remember crying, you know, because I didn't know how I, I was going to be accepted or maybe I was going to be, you know, she wasn't going to be, she, she wouldn't want to talk to me for the rest of her life. Who knew? But uh, I was lucky that, you know, all my friends, my close friends, my sister, they were so supportive and they, you know, and, and and loving that they were like, dude, we all knew, and and who cares? By the way, you know, it's it's two thousand and, <laughs> and something. It's not even. It shouldn't be a matter of you know of of, of 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 conversation. It should be something that's pretty normal and 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 right on. And we're here to to love you and support you. And I I came out like a year later to my father during one Christmas, just him and me. And my father doesn't drink. Then that's the only time in thirty eight years that I've seen him like chug a glass of champagne <laughs> and then put it down and look at me and say, are you happy? And I said, yes, then I'm more than happy for you. And I love you. And that's it. No, but getting to that point, it's like so hard, no? Or it was very hard for me. Well, it was hard for me too. I mean, my, my story is a little different, but, um, well, I'll say this, you know, I, I, I do think that, I do think that people who were raised outside of religious fervor maybe have like a slightly different understanding of what that's like to be raised around. Um, and I also think that, yeah, so that's just, that's what I'll say is like, for me, the, the fact that it's like, the fact that I grew up in a culture, you know, like for me, Catholicism was a culture. And so it wasn't like just a one-time lesson that I wasn't okay. It was literally like said, you know, every which way for decades of my life. So then to be brave enough to, you know, I liked, I liked that you said that you can have some compassion for yourself now, because I heard you say, you know, I, that I wish that I wish that you wished you could have been happier earlier. And to me, mm -hmm. it's like, it is, a, it is a, it is a fucking tough shell to try to crack out of to be told that like the thing that you are is broken. You know, I, I think that that is like, we really, I think especially in 2020 sort of underplay that process of how truly challenging that is. Um, and for me, you know, from the background that I came from, like I was devastated first, like before I even told anybody else and devastated them, I was like, first, like, Oh God, no, you know, like, and crying and upset and like thought I wouldn't get to have a good life, you know, and really had to go through like a period of grief and mourning and like terror um, to just like be having a college girlfriend. Like it's, pretty, it's like <laughs> the 
actual stuff that was happening versus the way that I felt about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like a criminal. I felt like I was yeah. damned to hell. I mean, it was it was very intense for me. Um, so I have a lot of compassion for why you would choose to wait and how difficult it would be to tell people. Oh, I did. I, I think I couldn't hold it anymore. You know, I couldn't hold it in. Yeah, absolutely. I, it it just you know exploded out of me one day. I couldn't, and and I'm grateful for it because because honestly, it's very it's very painful. It's a very painful place to be in the closet. No, so that's why going back to Alice. Who uh, movie? No, the other day I, I watched it and I was crying you know, my heart out while I was watching it. And this is such a beautiful, impactful, honest film. No, I can relate to that. I wish, I wish, you know, seventeen-year-old Hiromi could have turned on Netflix and watched that because maybe it would have helped her a lot. Yes, oh, especially the dad. I mean, yes, absolutely. The dad, oh. the character, the dad, the dad. <laughs> My God. And he reminds me of my dad. You know, I remember like people in school, teachers and, you know, the PTA telling my dad, uh, Hiromi is very boyish. She's like a tomboy. She's not feminine. She's and my dad kept saying like, yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand. But that's her. That's her personality. That's how she that's what she who she is. And and I, I, I you know I, I respect that. And, you know, he never questioned me for wanting to buy a baseball bat instead of a doll or, you know, or or. or and he also always wanted a son, so <laughs> I, I guess it worked. Yeah, we <laughs> for we have that in common. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I sort of had the same situation. I can't remember if I've ever told. I think I've told this story on the podcast before. But when I was like a little kid, there was um, there was there were auditions for a school play, and the title character, the lead character, was a guy, and I was like in third grade, and I just went to the auditions and I like auditioned for that role and the school called my parents and were like we don't understand what happened but Cameron like she showed up for a dude's role and my parents were like cool and so I I I did that I was I like I was then I was cast in the play and I like was a guy I mean and I was like a little kid like I don't even I don't even know you know um there was a lot of positive reinforcement and then a very scary time when I wasn't sure that they would accept what that meant about me. All that stuff from my childhood that they seemed to actually like about me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to ask you, I want to ask you, yeah, I'm looking at the time. I want to ask you like two questions. Number one, you got engaged this year. I did. Are you planning to, and you can also say this is too personal. You do not want to answer it. But are you all planning to wait a while and see what happens? Or are you planning to do something virtual? Or are you planning to do something just the two of you? Do you have any? I know so many people that have gotten engaged this year. And I'm wait, so wait, curious see. about what people are choosing to do, given the we're, everything. We're else. choosing to wait. We're choosing to wait. I'm this, I'm just this uh, ridiculous. I've, I mean, weird, no? But I, I've dreamt of my wedding. <laughs> This is this is very my my Catholic side is to speak, no. <laughs> yeah. but yeah. 
but I, I really, I, I, I want to get married in, you know, in a vineyard in, in, in Baja California, in the Valle of Guadalupe, with all my, you know, all my loved, uh, my loved ones and, and my family and my friends. So I, I think we want to wait uh, for a vaccine, maybe for, a, for, for something that can help us uh, get together at least, no, more than 10 people uh, uh, because otherwise, I mean, we could do it. We could do it virtually. We could do it. But I think we can wait. Like my my love story, that's a whole other, este, whole other podcast itself. It's a series, you know. Oh, really? We've been, oof, we've been on and off for 10 years. But I finally nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we got engaged. So we're planning to wait and see what happens around springtime next year and then decide. Hopefully, if everything goes great, we're aiming for September uh, 2021, because it's the time of the year that vineyards are really beautiful in, in, in the northern Baja in Mexico. Uh, so hopefully we can we can have our wedding, but we have to see. It's it's such a beautiful time and I really want to share it with, you know, like in a human way, you no know, person to person, uh, that just brushing into it because uh, we really want to do it now, now and, and, and in this moment of, you know, of, of any, I don't think anything is, 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 no one's sure of what's going on right now or what's going to happen. So we'd rather wait until we can, you know, have a, a more settled and grounded place where to choose what to do. So on and off for 10 years. I came back to that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, I'm telling you, that's, that's a series. That's a okay, it'll podcast. be a different, yeah. Before I, let's see, like timing wise, I always have folks shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made them be feel that they could be who, who they are today. So like a queer hero, a queero. Uh-huh. Would you like to shout out a queero? Yeah, but can it be someone who's not famous and who's my best friend from high school and who helped me? See? That is definitely who it should be, yes. So I, I, I just... Uh, what do you want me to say? Shout out his name or just a, a message for him? Well, you could you could say his name or you could say, you know, what this person meant to you and and, you know, why they're your queer. Cool. Can it be Spanglish? Yes. Okay. Yes, it can. Eh, Jaime Hernández en contra. Eres mi chompiras, mi amigo. I love you, cabrón. Thank you so much for walking with me through fire. Uh, storms, prejudice, uh, hardships. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am without you. And it's been a pleasure and an honor to have a queer brother like you. Damn. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. So this is a friend from high school who is also queer. Yes, absolutely. We used to pretend that we were dating so that people would get off our backs. Yeah, he's yeah. He came out uh, six months later than me. We tried making out in high school. It didn't work for both of us. We both were like, "Oh man, this is not gonna work." But I love you. You know, I love you, right? And um, he's my best friend since I was fifteen. He lives in London now. He's uh, uh, an interior designer, a, a popular guy who left Mexico during the pandemic to pursue a uh, uh, love interest. Who is a wonderful man who lives in London and he's living over there now. I miss him to death. And uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, honestly, I shared uh, my life with him. So 
So yeah, shout out to that guy. Oh, that's really beautiful. I, um, yeah, I like, that's the one thing I don't have. I don't have a, I don't have a gay best friend from high school. Rats. Yeah. I, I was still, lucky. Still waiting. Yes, I guess I so. was lucky. <laughs> I was very, very lucky. Very, very yeah. lucky. I remember one day driving, he was driving his car and I was there and we were silent. And he told me we were 16 and he said, do you think you might be a lesbian? And I'm, I might be gay. And I was like, shut up. Don't even say that. That's, that's stupid, man. Why would you bring that up? <laughs> you know? But we both silently knew deep down inside of us that we both were, you know, yes. and the fact that I got to share that with my best buddy from high school, it was a blessing. Wow. Totally. That's really cool. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for making no, time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. This is my first podcast. I didn't know what I was going to face. I was nervous. Oh, you excited. nailed it. Yeah, but my sister is a huge podcast is the, you know, a fan. And, and she says that your podcast is beautiful and popular. And ah, she's oh. great. You got you to gotta do it, Hiro. You got to do it. She's so awesome. Blah, blah, blah. So I said, all right, I'll do it. Because she's a huge fan of, of the podcast. So. <laughs> well, that's great. Thank your sister for helping me secure the interview. That's great. Yeah, you know, uh, I thought you were incredibly charming and that you nailed Thank you. it. So Likewise. Just, Likewise. Ah, whew, you did it. <laughs> well, I will see you after the pandemic somewhere um, or on the hope internet. So. I do, yeah. I do, I hope so. December 4th, turn on Netflix, watch Selena. Hope you like it. I'll be watching. <laughs>